Good to see everybody. Uh, if you're new here, my name is Joel and we have teaching from the Bible uh, at uh, Emmanuel every Sunday. We're in the book of Matthew. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount at the moment, which is the, the, uh, the chapters 5, 6 and 7 of Matthew's Gospel. And um, this is the first book in the New Testament, so it's easy to find. If you get to it, go to chapter 6 and we'll read the first four verses of chapter 6 and then verses 19 to 24. Um, we're jumping ahead slightly. Um, in the sermon, so we're going to have to skip back into chapter 5 for the coming weeks. The reason we're jumping ahead is because of our gift day, which is today. It's a very special day today, um, and so we, we are teaching particularly into that, and uh, that will become clearer as the time goes on. Uh, it was a good time recently for Kate and myself to be away with the uh, site leaders from across Emmanuel just last weekend. Uh, we got a couple of days away with, with them, with their wives, and had uh, what was a good time of uh, uh, being able to talk and pray together and moan and whine about how hard you are to pastor as a church, how difficult you all are, and what a terrible life they have. No, they, they, it was an excellent time. Uh, you are very blessed to have some outstanding people leading your sites who love you very much, and uh, it was just superb. I so enjoy fellowship with these guys, and... Um, uh, as I say, today's a different kind of message. Uh, what I'm going to end up doing actually after we've had this reading is ignoring the Bible passage for a large chunk because I want to give a lot of time to updating you on the journey we've been on. So I'm going to go back into our story as a church here. Um, for many of you, this will be a refresh because you've heard it before. Uh, for others, it will be all pretty new information. I hope for all of us, it will be helpful and encouraging and I hope it will give you some idea about the significance of what we're doing this weekend. All across our, our sites from Shoreham to the Clarendon Villas in Hove to uh, the Clarendon Centre in the central Brighton area to the marina in the east, we are involved this weekend in one of the huge, huge steps forward that we occasionally get to make as a church. Uh, this, this is a milestone. This is a very exciting, adventurous stage of our journey. Um, we've been building up to it for months. We've been praying about it, sharing some of the story. But today we make a huge step because we put our money into it. We invest in it. We, we say, okay, we're in. As a whole community, we are going for this together because we are talking about the beginning of another Emmanuel location. And uh, that's, that's what this gift day is all about. And uh, that's what I want to talk to you about today. So before we do that, let's have a reading from this uh, chunk of Matthew chapter 6. Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 4 and 19 to 24. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. 
Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So I planted this church at the age of four in 1979, as I often point out. My parents were also very involved in the team. Um, we actually started uh, in the, the Connaught School, as it was, in South Hove, with, uh, I guess, just a few dozen people. I remember the meetings fairly uh, vividly. For, for a four-year-old, I, 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 my, my memory is kind of going to be patchy, but I, I certainly recall things like people bringing in their own chairs. We didn't have chairs uh, in those days. We, we didn't have musical instruments as such. We had, we had some. Um, we, had, we had these interesting instruments called tambourines, um, and uh, they were magical. They had special power to summon up demons. Um, but uh, no, they, they, they were uh, the classic kind of this music staple diet of the time and uh, we, we, we were raw, we were rugged, we were up for an adventure, up for a fight. We wanted to start something in this crazy city of Brighton that would show the thousands, the tens of thousands, the hundreds of thousands what, what Jesus is like. And it, it grew fast. It was very, very exciting. As a kid, you can imagine what it was like for me growing up in this, this church world where everybody was, was new. Uh, every, every Sunday was Stranger Sunday. There were, there were always, and it was stranger in lots of ways, very strange. But lots of new people all the time and lots of lives being changed by the, the gospel of Jesus Christ as his kingdom advanced in the city. But we obviously needed space. We were just hiring a hall in this school and we eventually moved into what's now the, 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 the place where one of our sites is, the Clarendon Villas. And uh, we were able to get full ownership of it by a miracle. Uh, the elders of the church at the time, there were three of them, uh, my dad and David Fellingham and Henry Tyler, prayed and prayed and prayed together that we would get the building given to us and they were in a stage of negotiation with the the uh, the owners of the time uh, for a while and prayed and prayed that it would be just given freely and extraordinarily they were on one occasion praying and one of them Henry Tyler this is the story as I've received it um, turned to the other two while they were battling in prayer I, I guess for a long time just praying and praying and praying turned to the others and say brothers I believe that we have it I don't know if you've ever had one of those experiences where you've been praying for something and you've got to the point where you feel like the Holy Spirit allows you to stop praying because actually it's done. It's been done in prayer. And sure enough, the news came shortly after that it was uh, to be moved into. And so 
That was the early 80s. Uh, time came when we needed to get into bigger premises still. We were uh, spread out across the city in various ways for a little while. Then we met in a cinema. And then we met in two services at the Clarendon Villas, morning and evening for a while. And then we uh, got hold of our bigger building, our biggest building in the center of the city, which used to be a Comet warehouse, an electrical goods warehouse. Uh, we uh, bought it in the end for over three million. Uh, I mean, several thousands, several hundreds of thousands over three million. It was a, you know, short of four million, but a large amount of money. And uh, so through the early 90s, my experience in this church as a teenager by now was uh, stories of people giving, stories of people giving huge amounts, stories of people having inspiring stories of what happened when they gave huge amounts and people taking big steps of faith as they trusted God and, uh, and, and gave wholeheartedly. Um, I think of one of the members of the church who, who realized he needed to... Uh, uh, think of some creative ways to raise money to give more, and he said that he he was looking around his house for things to sell, and he felt the Holy Spirit say to him, "Sell the golf clubs," and uh, he thought, "I can't do that. I can't. I can't sell my golf clubs." And then he felt the Holy Spirit say to him, when was the last time you actually played golf? <laughs> and he realized he could definitely sell his golf clubs. And so I just remember stories like this all the time. People. Telling, telling testimony of how God had provided for them uh, in, in phenomenal ways as they gave money away, providing all kinds of stuff. I remember one church member saying, not just money, but weird stuff, goods that they'd run out of, things that they'd run out of, large families with hundreds of kids, because you've got to have hundreds of kids to be a Christian, where the loo roll has run out. And what are we going to do? We've given all our money away to buy a building in the centre of Brighton. How can we afford loo roll? And someone comes to the door and says, do you need any loo roll? Um, I mean, this is real stuff. Uh, but we had stories of these kinds coming through frequently. One of the uh, abiding um, images that, that helped us through those years as a church was that of an anvil like a blacksmith would use to hammer out into shape um, uh, metalwork, maybe, maybe like a sword or something in, in ancient times or anything that a blacksmith would use to, would, would, would create. He'd use an anvil to hammer it into shape when it's, a, when it's red hot, when it's been in the furnace. And, uh, and we felt like God spoke to us and said, this, this building that you're raising money for is your anvil. I'm shaping you. I'm using this season of massive, sacrificial, generous giving to shape you and to make you confident in me, teach you to trust me, teach you some new things about my faithfulness. And I tell you, that definitely happened to the community. For, for, for hundreds of people, it was formative in their lives and in their life together as a, as a church. I think, I don't know this I, for sure, I can't, I can't be, I, I'm going by little rumours and snippets I've picked up over the years, but I think it's possible that my parents put more money into the buildings of this church than they did into their house, uh, into actually buying our house. Uh, I think that's quite possible. Now, those are the days when you could buy a house for 50 quid uh, before, before the 80s. But no, I, it, was, it was genuinely an extraordinary thing. The amount of money uh, that, that people would give to the flourishing of the work of God in this city. And we've seen over the years God do phenomenal things in terms of miracles of provision. We had a, uh, a, a major roadblock, which many of you know the story of when it came to the use of the Clarendon Centre. It had been an electrical goods warehouse. We had applied to the council for change of use to make it into a place of worship. 
and the council unanimously rejected our request. In fact, they didn't just do it unanimously, they did it publicly. They did it on a national media level. <laughs> they, they got together in the building and had the TV cameras and they rolled it on, I think maybe regional news, with the unanimous council report of them all going around this building saying, we do not want a bunch of happy clappies here. Um, and, so, and so in terms of how much of a setback, a big blow, uh, that was. You've you got to kind of imagine how that felt for a community that had kind of built some, some momentum, raised some money, looked forward to potentially getting in here uh, to this new building. It was a huge, painful moment. And so we prayed. And I remember very vividly as a young man who's just kind of got serious with God, I was about 17 years old, 16 years old, being at prayer meetings where we prayed for the council's unanimous decision to be overturned. And uh, we were told by a solicitor friend of ours who, who helped to frame the appeal. He helped to get the, the, the document prepared. And he said to us, if this happens, if a unanimous council appeal is overturned in this situation, it will be unprecedented. It will be a miracle. You need to know it will be a miracle. And so we prayed. And I do remember the prayer meetings. I remember gathering to pray, saying, God, turn this around, turn this around. I remember vividly the day the news came. I remember I got, got home from college, or what, sixth form college I think I was going to, and the news came that afternoon. The phone calls were going around the church. People were saying, it's been overturned. It's been overturned. This unanimous refusal has been overturned. And, and it did something for us as a church. It was like our Red Sea it was like our moment of, of deliverance. It was our moment of God showing up and saying, I am with you. And we have these stories for a reason. We have God with us. That's what it means to be the church. It means to have God genuinely with you. That's why our name, Emmanuel, is so appropriate. So we were uh, grateful for God's dealings at that time. But then... Uh, 2006 onwards, I, I'd moved back to town myself with my wife and small family at the time. And uh, having traveled and been away for years, came back and started to lead the church here and ruined everything. We went for multi-site. We actually started in 06 to 09 planning for a, an expansion in the center of the city. We looked hard at buying space next door. And after a while, began to feel as a bunch of leaders Maybe that's not the way God's leading us, actually. And we, we prayed and thought long about it and considered it. And God's the point where actually we began to feel far more confident that the, the best way forward was actually to multiply, to spread out across the city into various locations. And I could take you through the reasons why we, we did that and the, the kind of the, the rationale. And uh, I could also say some of the specific kind of... Um, moments where God seemed to instruct us to do that, uh, but time doesn't really allow for it. I'll just say that in 2011, we started our first new location as a church when Shoreham began as a site uh, in the autumn of that year. Uh, it meant we were spreading out. We wanted to reach the whole city. We wanted to be able to be a large church and a small church at the same time, and we started with Shoreham. And then uh, shortly after, beginning of 2012, we went to the race course. That site now meets at the marina. And then at the close of 2013, we were able to start at the Clarendon Villas. Now, that was a big deal because whereas in Shoreham and the race course we were renting, very expensive to rent, uh, Clarendon Villas, we didn't have to rent because we owned it. Uh, but nevertheless, 
although we owned it, because it had been used for military experiments involving basketball hoops and uh, crisp packets and chickens, uh, we realized we needed to uh, do it up quite a lot. What I mean is it had been a place where a lot of youth work had happened. That's what I mean, <coughs> for many years. And any building that has been subjected to youth work for, for 10, 20 years is no longer a building. And so we had to do some serious renovation and, uh, and miracles and all the rest and raise money to make the building look like a building. Um, and it, we did. And we knew it was going to cost a lot to do it well. So we, we said to the church, let's go for a quarter of a million. And uh, I remember coming back from being away to get the, uh, the result. And Steve Boone and I sat in a car. Uh, he picked me up from somewhere and we said, well, well, how much did we raise? And he said to me, we raised 350,000, 100 over the target. It was a phenomenal moment for us. And it marked the beginning of a season of growth. Uh, we were in four locations from that point in this city and then able to plant churches into other cities with the leaders that had started to come through in those sites. So we're now in Berlin, in Amsterdam, in Ottawa, capital of Canada, and we have other church plants in our, in our tubes, as it were, in the, in, the, in the pipeline, ready to go forward. The big point of this, we've been on a journey. And uh, I'm missing loads of detail on purpose because this, there's not enough time, but I want you to see that we've had to learn to make decisions. We've had to learn to step forward bravely. We've had to learn to step back and learn from our mistakes. We've had to look for God's hand. We've had to be flexible. We've had to live up to our slogan, everything changes except the gospel, in order to keep being a pilgrim people on the move, watching for how God will guide and lead us into his plan, his His destiny for us. In 2013, Kate and I were moving back to the suburbs ourselves. Uh, we lived in a really small house in the Seven Dials. Uh, we loved living in the centre of Brighton for a while. Uh, we only had four children in those days, a tiny number of children to have. They happened to be two boys and two girls, so they fit nice and snug into a chest of drawers, and uh, it, it worked all right. You could do the urban dwelling thing uh, that way. But when we were pregnant with our fifth, we realized we couldn't do that unless we put him in the bath. So we had to move back to the suburbs. And that was a, a bit of a, a sorrow for us, but it did mean that put me into North Hove all over again. And uh, it certainly got us thinking and praying about that area. And during that time, I began to think, I wonder if this is the right place for our next location. In, in fact, it strategically made loads of sense. A lot of people driving in to the Clarendon Center from North Hove uh, would be served well by a location starting there. And it's, if you think about the way the whole city is shaped, the whole urban sprawl is shaped, North Hove is, is a bit of a spread out place. And the Villas site is, is definitely a good place to go to for anyone in Hove. But it actually, to find a place where it's pretty easy to approach from North Hovers, where there's good parking, for example, would make sense. And so we started thinking about it. And then a couple of years later, a dear man called Andrew Edwards came to see me and Steve Wolford and one or two other elders. And we talked about the possibility of a church that already exists in North Hove, or existed at the time, Oasis Christian Fellowship, joining us. <clears throat> Andrew was the pastor of the church. We knew this would be different. This would be an adoption, whereas all the others had been plantings of leaders and people that had come through in Emmanuel. This would be an adoption. Uh, we were very open to this idea. 
but Oasis, in the end, pulled back at that time, not sure about pushing it further, looking at other ways forward. And so we just left it and we just prayed. And as a group of leaders in the church, as elders, we prayed often that God would open that door again uh, if that was his will and that we would see a, a, a significant work started uh, in, the, in the north part of, of Hove. At the end of 2017, sadly, Andrew himself died young and unexpected. Uh, it was huge for the small community there at Oasis. And uh, it meant that they began to approach us again in their particular moment of crisis and need about the possibility of connecting again after all. And that Christmas, I sat down with Steve and Rosie Wolford um, and said to them, what about uh, you guys actually for a time simply being there as 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 a pastor, as a, as a couple together serving that church and really helping them through the, the brunt of this loss. Not necessarily with a view to them joining us. Uh, we, we knew that uh, that could happen, but we knew actually the thing that it was best for us to do at that time was simply to serve them, love them, and give them our best, as it were. And certainly that's what we were doing in asking Steve and Rosie to be with them for that spring term. And uh, what happened after that was interesting. Steve himself was reflecting on whether this was the right thing to do, praying hard about it, and not sure completely whether uh, God was in it. And he was talking to uh, one of the other elders uh, a couple of weeks later or a few days later about it, saying, I wonder if God's telling me to do this. He was sitting in Costa Coffee, as it happens, and just kind of struggling with whether or not he should... Uh, uh, be in Costa Coffee at all? Uh, no, wondering whether he should be uh, uh, considering this um, uh, this proposal of going. It was a big deal to go and pastor a, a, a fellowship that he'd be new to and leave everything and start again, as it were, in a new community. And a stranger came over to his table, total stranger, and said to him, "I feel God is speaking to you, and saying, why are you in Costa Coffee? No, say God, God's speaking to you." And say, no, we love Costa. And, and God, God is saying to you, um, I mean, this is a total stranger. I mean, he honestly just didn't know if around him, hasn't seen him since. And said to him, I think God wants you to do something and you're not sure if it's the right thing, but God is saying it definitely is and you need to go ahead with it. Okay, so that gives me some confidence again that God might be in this process. We, we are so grateful for the way that God is with us and leads us uh, in the extraordinary way he does. So, we, we served that church for the season, uh, I said, that spring term. And then after Easter, we started talking about them joining Emmanuel. That was last year, uh, this time last year. And around that time, in the summer term, we, we had a few seasons of, of talking through our values, explaining what it would mean. You can't just sort of sign the dotted line without knowing who we are and what we believe and what makes us the way we are. How do we tick? Do you really want to be part of Emmanuel? Do you really like our values? Do you really like our kind of church? Is that what you want to be part of? Are you sure? And we talked it through. At the time, another remarkable thing happened. A friend of mine from decades back, who I'd honestly not spoken with for decades, he was an old friend from many years ago, he, he contacted me through my brother, who he's in contact with more often, who lives in London, and he said to my, to my brother, does your brother Joel live in Brighton now? And does he, is he leading the church in Brighton? And my brother said, yeah. He said, I, if, if there's something that he's doing at the moment that involves Hangleton, please tell him, I think God is saying that something 
amazing is about to happen in Hangleton. God wants to bring in a big harvest in that part of the city. I see big harvest fields and I see it being gathered for God's glory. And I, I, I feel like Joel's doing something in Hangleton that's very important. Tell him to stick at it. Again, encouraging <laughs> to say the least. So in July, they voted to close as a church. That's what they did. They said, okay, we will not exist as a church as we have been because we want to go through the process of joining ourselves to Emmanuel, which is what they will be doing over the Easter season, uh, becoming part of the Emmanuel family. And we, we want to launch the, them as a site more strongly uh, later on, I think, in the year. I think we'll be able to do it in a bigger way because at this stage we're still wanting to kind of... Uh, get sorted in terms of getting hold of the property and so on. But let me spell out some things for you today before I finish to help us gear up to our giving. And I'll draw in the passage that we read from um, before I finish. First of all, the situation. Second of all, the need. Thirdly, the opportunity. Fourthly, the plan. And fifthly, the reward. Let's talk very quickly about those five. First of all, the situation. Oasis Christian Fellowship has not been owning the building uh, the deeds are actually owned by a national denomination, uh, Christian denomination, uh, that we've been talking this through with. We've looked at the options and the only way we can really go forward uh, is to own the space. Uh, this gives us freedom to develop and expand there. And uh, the property is valued at around half a million. We've been praying for months for a miracle of provision. Um, remember the story of the Clarendon Villas. And uh, we knew that the March gift day would likely be very relevant to this. We knew this many, many, many months ago. And now we have the March gift day. And now you may have seen a few weeks back, we named a figure of £200,000. If I'm honest with you, it was somewhat pulled from the air. Uh, I, I wouldn't want to pretend it was our, our finest moment in terms of saying exactly what we need. Uh, it was certainly it's certainly a good amount to ask for because it's beyond what we normally ask for. So it's stretching. But actually, the reality in terms of the full total of what we need is, as I say, half a million. That's what we want to go for in terms of getting hold of the property. Now, my prayer is that we will. I don't know how much this gift day will help us with that. Um, I'm praying that in the next few weeks, we will see, nevertheless, something like that figure coming in. And so... Uh, I'm main, main, mentioning it before you to say this is a huge moment for us as a church, a huge step as we move forward. At the start of the year, we had our two weeks of prayer and fasting. Uh, many of you would have been there when Annika Feiner uh, got up and, and, and shared something prophetic that she felt God had given her. Now, Annika is one of those people who we particularly uh, see a, a, something of a, a gift with in terms of hearing God's voice. Uh, we don't want to kind of overdo it and make it seem like we have sort of a few mystics around who are kind of gurus, but there is such a thing as a gift of prophecy. And there are some people who bring words that it actually it, it often comes at a very key moment and helps us. And she, she shared something uh, simply about this year being a year of doors opening. And I believe that's relevant for this. I'm praying for a door to be opening in North Hove this year. I'm praying for us to move in in a big way. And I'm praying that we'll have the opportunity to move in. We want to be able to develop the space. We want to be able to expand the space, quite likely, uh, in, the, in the future at least. We want to be able to maximize its use for a harvest that we believe that God will 
eventually perform in that part of the city. And so we, we, we want to make sure we've got full use of it. We want to be able to raise the money. And I'm asking you to join us in prayer and faith for that. The need, and this is where I'm lightly touching on the passage that we read earlier on. Jesus speaks about giving to need, literally the needy. When we talk about the needy, you might think, well, that's, that's what we do in the autumn gift day. We give to the, the socially disadvantaged. We give to the poor. We, we serve the poor with our autumn gift day, not with our spring gift day. This is about church planting and sites being started or, or whatever. Well, if we do that without facing the need, we're missing something. In reality, Hangleton is an area of many and various needs. There's a an interesting mixture, for sure, of rich and poor. Uh, there are all kinds of genuine socially uh, areas of social disadvantage, and uh, we need to be asking Jesus to help us to make a big difference for people who live in that part of the city. Whatever their economic and social circumstances, the spiritual need is vast. We're talking about tens of thousands of people who walk, as the book of Isaiah describes them, in darkness, in a land of deep darkness. We might not think of ourselves in the UK as living in darkness, but if you love Jesus and trust the Bible, you know the difference between light and darkness. And people in that part of the city, for sure, need the light of Jesus. I know that living there more and more. Many new families are moving into the area. Even Emmanuel families. Uh, there's a school, a significant secondary school at the top of the hill that's just about to open in the autumn. And there are all kinds of other uh, ways in which the area is developing and growing in terms of population and in terms of uh, the kinds of people that are moving in. Uh, it's a good place for us to target, and there is great need there. Uh, thirdly, the opportunity. Oasis is to join Emmanuel from Easter to build up to a launch. We'd like to do that in the autumn term. Uh, my experience is that North Hove is a quieter part of the city. Uh, nothing much happens there compared to certain other parts of Brighton we could talk about. That to me is an opportunity. We could potentially be a, a thriving hub in that part of the city. We could create a center of community, a center of life, which serves that part of the city through the week. We could be getting hold of property so that we can actually establish something that is involved in people's lives 24-7 in all kinds of ways, creative ways, uh, all, kinds of, all kinds of exciting things have occurred to me. Some of them are probably rubbish ideas, but there'll be one or two good ones in there too. But whatever, in time, as time goes on, I'm sure there'll be better and better ideas about how we can connect with the community brilliantly and bring life and colour and light and vibrancy to that part of the city. And most importantly, Proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm confident that as years go on, in very, very soon, I'm, I'm trusting we'll start to see a generation of leaders coming through in that part of the city who will be more and more effective at preaching the gospel, getting people to believe in Jesus, getting them connected to a thriving, growing church community. This is the kind of thing we've begun to see in Shoreham and in South Hove at the Villas and over in the east at the Racecourse in Ella Marina. It's the kind of thing we now need to see in North Hove as well. And uh, I'm believing God for a harvest there. The fourth thing, the plan. Well, this gift day is a little bit hard to define. It's a gift day. It's a bit, bit like a gift day. It's a bit like a campaign. Gift day 
may be a bit of a misnomer because in reality, some of you perhaps shouldn't give today. You need to pray a lot more or maybe you could start giving today. But in reality, we need to build to a target that's going to take a little while. And I want to urge you to pray, pray, pray. We've already urged you to pray weeks ago. But my experience in, in, in church life is we're very busy people. We've got all kinds of things that demand our attention, lots of priorities. And it can be a few days or even weeks before the average Emanuela begins to wake up to the call to pray. And uh, I, if you hear that as a rebuke, fair enough. No, if you hear it as a rebuke, um, uh, I love you very much. But what I want to say to you is I don't think we've started praying yet about this one. Not really. I don't think we've really started taking this gift day on the chin. I don't think we've woken up to what God's doing. This is a big one. This is a big adventure. And I'm asking you to get stirred. We've had decades of God stirring us as a whole church when it comes to taking another hill, crossing another boundary, laying another milestone. When this happens, the whole church gets stirred. And I'm not sure if we're at stir stage. And I think today is perhaps about me stirring things up. And asking you to get serious with us and pray with us. We will give today. We'll give big. I'm going to give big. But I'm praying that many others will give bigger and bigger as the days and weeks go on. Because we want to raise so much <laughs> to get this thing uh, to flourish. And so it's a little bit of a campaign. Pray. Pledge today, if you like. Put in an IOU. Uh, maybe consider and reflect. Join us to pray. This Tuesday morning, again, at Oasis Christian Fellowship. We mean it. Be there. The parking is free. It's a miracle. There's a place in Sussex where you can park your car and you won't get put in prison for it. So come to join us at 6.30 in the, the Oasis Christian Fellowship car park, as it is. And, uh, and if you, there's other roads around there. We can also park for free. It's phenomenal. And you can join us to pray for this gift. Pray for the church. Pray for yourself. Pray for God to do a miracle of provision. Who knows how he'll do it? He can feed a, a, a mountain load of thousands of people with, with two fish and five loaves of bread. I don't know how he's going to provide for us. I just trust that he will. I don't know how. I don't know how. I, I, he, can, he, can make, he can make everyone up to their knees in dead quails. If you don't believe me, it's in the Bible. It's just weird. God can provide in phenomenal ways. And, and so let's pray. Let's say, God, we need you to come through. We need you to help us to raise huge amounts here. We can't do this. We need your help. So join us to pray. We'll also pray together at the same venue on Wednesday evening of the 27th. Small groups on that night are cancelled. Do not go to your small group. If it's on that night, come to Oasis Christian Fellowship for a prayer time. We're going to pray and so this will roll on for a couple of weeks. We'll keep communicating. We'll keep clarifying what we're going to do. Okay, it's a little bit rough and ready, a bit raw. Don't you like it when it's raw? All right, it's not a bad thing. We, 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 we wish we were a bit more glossy and clear and final. I know we should be. We're a big church. We should be really organized. We're, we're still learning. Trust us. Our heart is that we want to raise a huge amount of money. We want to build God's uh, church in this city. We want to advance the kingdom of Jesus. We just, need to, we just need to trust God while we go forward in it. So that's the plan. And then the fifth piece, the final piece, the reward, the reward. This is where we come back to the passage that I read to you about a month ago. In the context of talking about generosity, Jesus talks about eyesight. Did you notice that in verse 22? The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? 
Do you hear the perspective of the man from heaven? This is Jesus who was not, before he came to earth, used to blindness, wasn't used to darkness, wasn't used to people seeing wrong and being distracted from the light. I can imagine it. Well, actually, I can't imagine it. Perhaps none of us can. But I certainly detect some of his, his tone here. There are moments where he, he speaks in, in this kind of amazement at people's spiritual blindness. How can you be so dull, he would sometimes say, even to his disciples, because spiritual blindness affects us. It doesn't affect him. His eyes are blazing all the time. But we, as, as fallen sons of Adam, <laughs> we need to catch up with him. We don't see as we should, even as disciples. And so we need spiritual eyesight to be clearer. And in this gift day, especially, we're calling for the kind of extravagance that can only make sense to those who've seen something. The Christian life is, 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 <laughs> is either based on having seen something or it's just bad advice. I'm advising you to give huge amounts of money. I'm advising you to be spectacularly generous. <laughs> Maybe spectacular is the wrong word. You're not trying to make a spectacle. But you are wanting to ex express extravagant devotion to Jesus. How can you do that if you haven't seen how good he is? How can you do that if, if you're not confident that he's got your back? How can you do that if you haven't seen something? But the Christian life should be the kind of life that often provokes the question, have you seen something I haven't seen? What have you seen? Why, why are you behaving like this? Why are you acting like that? Oh, it's because you've seen something that I haven't seen. The person who's seen Jesus and seen his kingdom, well, it's like the person who, who confidently goes and state, puts all of their, 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 their capital on a horse that they know cannot lose. If you know there's only one horse in the race, you can't bet too much. You simply can't. No one ever has bet too much on a winning horse. And the key thing is, what, what's, what are the rewards for investing in the kingdom of Jesus? He's talking about investment. He's not talking about uh, feeling good about yourself because you gave a little bit of money. You put a little bit in a pot or in an envelope, but that's, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about investment. Feeling good about ourselves, that's a nice sentimental moment that we might have watching a charity uh, a, a presentation of some kind, but to actually invest in the kingdom of Jesus is a different prospect altogether. And Jesus warns us against false rewards here. He warns us against false wealth, which masters you. No one can serve two masters, he says. You'll either hate the one and love the other, or he'll, you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And the truth is, we know this already. People who are affluent are often the least happy, the least contented, because they tend to imagine control of things, control of circumstances, control of finances, which is a total illusion, and it causes massive tension in the heart. It's why people who are living in the affluent countries of the West are the people who are most susceptible to depression and mental health problems, suicide rates. The problems of the affluent countries are very different than the problems of the, the less affluent. It's not that wealth is a bad thing or money is, is, is an evil, not at all. 
These things are given for us to enjoy, but the problem is we don't enjoy them because we don't receive them as gifts from God. We try to control them. We try to imagine that they are God. And this leads us to tension inwardly. We're like people who've been given a, a bottle of beer but no bottle opener. We can't even enjoy the things of this world. We, we, we accumulate, we chase, we want them, we need them, we know there's something good about them, we must have them. But somehow they don't afford us the kind of joy and contentment that they're supposed to. Somehow there's this huge gap, which is why the, the famous billionaire John Paul Getty, when he was asked, how much money is enough money? He said, just a little bit more. I guess that's the, the, the classic example of this kind of lack of contentment that seems to prevail in the heart of a culture that's totally convinced that, that we have to be assured and have certainty when it comes to money. Jesus is saying it's a false reward. It, it's a, it's a, there's a false security there. It's false. It doesn't deliver as advertised. And it's going to be destroyed in the end. It won't last. You can't take it with you. And it doesn't give you the joy that you imagine it will. The things that make me worry when I think, how much can I give to this gift day? The things that I think, that will jeopardize that, that will jeopardize that. The question then to ask myself is, so? So? What if it does? What actually if it does? What if, if, I've, if I've misunderstood the value of certain things that I seem to think I must have in order to be content? I must have this. Well, maybe, maybe God knows better than I do what I must have. Maybe God knows better than I do what I can have. Maybe God is fully able, <laughs> and he has been so far, I must say, to look after me at every stage of our journey of generosity. Last and final thing to say, he talks about false reward. He also talks about false charity. He's naming the kind of patterns of giving that are really more about what we talked about last week, if you were here, the law. The, the kind of obedience that's really external, it's, it's in order to chalk up a certain level of righteousness that's kind of outward, even if it hides a heart that's cold. Giving that comes from a cold heart is going to have to really be about earning people's approval. Jesus is quite funny about that. He talks about people blowing trumpets to, to announce their gift, their big check. That said, you know, here, look at my amazing ability to give. And I'm sure he's using a kind of a, a, a he's, he's using a hyperbole. He's, he's not even literally saying, you know, that it's a sin to give publicly. You, can't, you don't have to sort of come to the front with a ski mask on uh, and hide your, your, you know, put on a Spider-Man outfit. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that, uh, Jesus isn't saying that privacy is the key thing. He's saying the motive is the key thing. What's the heart? What's the desire? What's the motive? What do you long for? Is it wrong to desire approval? No, it's wrong to desire the approval from the wrong person. Our, our problem that we have with, with uh, our hearts is that we haven't understood the unbelievable joy and delight there is in walking with a Savior who loves us so fully and so freely that we can trust him, we can be devoted to him, and we can find devotion to him utterly rewarding. And uh, those of us who know the pleasure of the Father that God gives to us through his son Jesus, know that we don't need the approval of others. We actually begin to live for the approval of our Father. Having been given it freely through the gift of Jesus who died for us on the cross, we begin to live for it freely.
and enjoy it more and more and become self-forgetful because he's that good. He's that trustworthy. And so I want to urge you to go for the right reward, not the false reward here. With your life, with your giving, let me urge you, the rewards of seeing the kingdom of Jesus come in your lifetime, seeing his provision in your life, knowing the joy of involvement with his purposes and knowing that what you're storing up in your life will never be taken away from you. Unlike all the riches of this age which are passing at best, the wealth of heavenly reward will never be taken from you. So give yourself to it wholeheartedly. Let's pray. Father, as we prepare our hearts to give, we want to also prepare our hearts to receive and we take bread and wine as a reminder of your faithfulness, your goodness and kindness and your grace to us. Help us to live content in all of your promises to us, fulfilled in Jesus, that we might be able to give extravagantly and wholeheartedly because we've seen something better. Our eyes have seen the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.